Canuck Central is here on a Friday. And we're in the Kintec studio here on this Friday. Canuck Central is brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service you can trust in 14 locations to serve you. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw on a Mailbag Friday. What's happening, Sat? What's going on, Dan? Excited for Mailbag Friday? Oh, yeah. Mailbag Friday uh, is going to be a spicy one coming up in an hour. It is. Uh, hard-hitting questions right off the bat. Uh, so we are uh, in the Kintech studio, mm-hmm. a new, the new Kintech studio. New look studio. New look Kintech studio. And uh, so far, so good with how it's going. We're up on stream on Twitter as well if you want to check that out. Also on your favorite podcatcher and, of course, Sportsnet 650. It is um, National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. In recognition of the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, radio stations across the country are coming together across Canada to amplify, elevate, listen to, and learn from Indigenous voices with a day to listen 2022. It's in partnership with the Gord Downey and Cheney Wenjack Fund. Listeners can tune in to radio stations across the country, including our music stations, Sonic 104.9 and Jack 96.9, until 6 p.m. today. Listeners will hear stories from Indigenous leaders, residential school survivors, musicians, and teachers. For more information, visit adaytolisten.ca. And Sat and I are... Uh, Nicely geared up in our Semi-Amu Ravens jerseys that were sent to us. Yeah, m- uh, m- much love to the Semi-Amu Ravens for sending us these jerseys that have our names on the back as well, Shaw and Riccio. So uh, they're very nice. And, you know, it's one of those things where... They're not just very nice. They're like they're ex- They're amazing. Yeah. They, they really are exceptionally beautiful. And it's one of those things where this was the first jersey I've received with my name on it. Yeah. So it was it was pretty cool. Uh, it is pretty cr- it's pretty great and also uh BCHL having events we'll tell you more about them uh coming up a little bit later on in the show uh including uh with the Semiamu Ravens. So okay, Canucks are just uh they wrapped up practice not that long ago sat. It's uh, a day after they lose in overtime again. Mhm to the uh, Coachella Kraken. Is that what they're called? The AHL franchise? Coachella Valley Firebirds. Firebirds. Ah, Firebirds. They're not Kraken. They're not Kraken. They're Firebirds. Okay. So they they lost to a team comprised of mostly Coachella Valley Firebirds. (laughs) uh, And much like they lost to a team mostly comprised of the Calgary Wranglers. So it's two games on home ice here in the preseason. And no panic bells should be ringing right now. But I I thought it was interesting and clear that the coach wasn't too happy about some of the things that went on, especially in the third period Mm -hmm. last night for the Vancouver Canucks. How much is there a lot to read into that? Or is it, hey, it's preseason and it's kind of coach speak. He's just trying to get his message across. So... Boudreau, and I mentioned this before the season began, I don't think any person in this Canucks organization, player or coach or manager, has more on the line this season than Bruce Boudreau. So if you want to think of it through that lens and you talk, you hear him not be happy with the game, you can understand there is a big immediacy here, not for him to want to get this team going. And yeah, of course, his job and his desires for this team to have, have success and for this team to do well and all those sort of things. But obviously... He's also interested in continuing to coach beyond the season in the National Hockey League. So 
as much as there's a lot of focus on making sure the team is ready, there's an extra pressure on Boudreaux this year. But I have a hard time thinking, though, that he's feeling that pressure in Game 2 of the preseason. So uh, I do think it's it's more about... Um... And Boudreaux said this last night in listening to the post game show with with you and Bick. Um, it's it's more about not the wins and losses in preseason, but are you seeing the habits there that you want to see? And uh, it's a double edged sword because do I want guys going one hundred and twenty percent at all times in the preseason? No, I'd rather you just be healthy for game one of the yeah. season. And and that's part of why I'm not reading too much into this is because, you know, who were the players that were sort of not at their best last night? I felt it was like JT Miller, Tanner Pearson, you know, Connor Garland with his trademark turnover in the preseason. He he, he okay, so he wasn't god awful like he was against Calgary. He was just awful. He's just like he's more <laughs> careless with the puck yeah, in preseason. It's, I'm not coming down hard on Connor Garland, yeah. but he was bad again last uh, night in preseason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's at least less harsh uh, than <laughs> than after game one. Uh, but like, I mean, I I just I I I know J T. Miller is going to be better as the season starts. I know mm-hmm. Tanner Pearson is going to be uh, better with the puck when the season starts. I know Garland uh, will be more on it when the season starts. Uh, Really, the concern comes on the back end, and that's where we saw a change today. Boudreaux sort of hinted at this yesterday, but at practice today, as much as Quinn Hughes loved playing on the right side with OEL last night, Hughes with Pullman, OEL with Myers, Mm -hmm. Rathbone, Shen. Yeah. That looks like maybe the way they may end up starting the season, Sat. It very well might, especially as long as Dermot remains out with yeah. his situation. And uh, there's no real update. We're left to speculate. And the only thing the coach has said is that he wasn't feeling well. And he mentioned the hit wasn't that bad or didn't seem that bad when he saw it, but he's not feeling well, whatever that means. So we don't know what his status is like. But the the longer he's out, the less likely it seems he's going to be ready to go for the regular season. And does do those pairings not fit more naturally than what they were trying with Hughes on the right side. And this is not saying Hughes didn't work on the right side and yeah. it doesn't work with OEL. But as far as how does do the rest of the pairs fit, does this not fit more naturally, it seems? It 100% does. <laughs> it's easier to put things together like this. It, it is. Um, look, uh, you've taken a look at Danny DeKaiser now. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't really seen a player that uh, is is going to markedly change the way that the Vancouver Canucks play defense or help the way that they control play in their own end? Do you think he was a bit better last night? Yeah, I thought so too. I don't know if that was good enough, but being fair, but I mean they're playing him, AHLers, so it's hard to true. Yeah. It, and the it, pace isn't very high, yeah. right? So it's hard for me to to kind of gauge. Like even even Pedersen last night, how many guys is he dangling around? And Pedersen was engaged and he played yeah. really well. I get it. Uh, it's a little too easy sometimes. It's, you know, like I, I understand the quality of competition they're they're going up against. So I, I take it with a bit of a grain of salt. And, and, you know, I think right now probably the most interesting person or player on this blue line is Tucker Pullman because I didn't love what I saw from him last night. No. And he's still just – he looks hesitant to me to really Tentative. get after it, Sat. 
Yeah, you know what? And, and that's a great point on the hesitancy. And that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody for a guy coming off yeah. what he was dealing with some head injuries. And he's, he's easing into it through the preseason and in training camp. This was his first preseason game. This was his first game in months after everything went through last year. So I think it's natural for him to be a bit tentative and be a bit hesitant. I'm with you. I thought he took a hit last night. And after that hit, he was even a bit more timid than he was before that. And you kind of wondered about, you know, what that what was going on and how he felt about things but the good news is and this was the biggest test do you make it through that day and can you skate the next day and that's what he's doing so I I think regardless of how he performed on the ice I think the most important thing was can he get through a game and then get back on the ice the next day yeah and he did that so I think that's a positive but he was I don't think he was ever going to have a good performance in his first preseason game back I uh I do wonder how it looks um Tomorrow night, I do expect Canucks are in Seattle tomorrow night. You'll hear that game on Sportsnet 650. But um, does Pullman play again? And I feel Boudreaux sort of mentioned it yesterday that he's likely to play Pullman the rest of the way of the preseason. They they need to see like if he can play pretty much yeah. every other night, right? They got to play him into shape too. Yeah, you know he hasn't played in a long time, so you got to see what you have with him. And I don't think it's been decided as much as they went back to these pairings. I think what happened was they wanted to make sure Hughes gets that chance on the right side. But Boudreaux himself said yesterday, "Let's see what Pullman's status is, and then maybe that just makes Hughes go back to the left side." But I think when you look at what happened today and you're going to look at what happened the next couple of games, I think they'll give it a real chance here mm-hmm. and see Pullman and Hughes, give it a game or two. I'm not sure Hughes is going to travel to Seattle and play, but, but, I, but I guess we'll see exactly. But that's going to be the test for Pullman. Does he get through it? And if he can play with Hughes and get away with playing with Hughes and OEL and Myers can get back to being a decent pair, then a little pressure is off your shoulders. And when you looked at Jack Rathbone last night playing with Pullman, then love love it exactly. But anytime you kind of see him with Luke Shen, you think that can be a nice, mm-hmm. safe pairing on the third pair. Uh, Quinn Hughes with Tucker Pullman last year, they controlled just over 52% of the shots and were about even goals for and against. So that's a five-on-five. Five. So the numbers uh, weren't like eye popping as they were with Hughes and Shen. So what were the scoring chance differentials, the high danger scoring chance differentials did not look pretty on, uh, on Hughes and, and Tucker Pullman. They were at a 46% expected goals for percentage. Their high danger chance, uh, share was at 41 and a half percent. So, and so, the expected goal stuff is obviously informative and it's stuff that you should, you know, keep in mind and everything. But as we always say, take it with a grain of salt, the yes. public data. The stat that I put the most importance in out, out of any individual stat that we can look at um, through these shot metrics is the high danger scoring chance ones. Those are the ones to me that I, I, I take most note in. And because that gives you the quality of where those shots are coming from. Now, there's another layer to this, which makes reading those stats even more difficult because some teams give up those shots because yeah. they have a goalie who's really good at saving straight-ahead shots like the Winnipeg Jets did. Now, if it goes east and west, there were problems, but they didn't allow any of those shots. When you look at the shot differentials, you go, they're like horrible hor- high-danger differentials, but the type of high-danger shots they gave up was one they wanted to give up because they knew Hellebuck had a good chance of saving those shots. So that's what makes it hard sometimes to read into these ones. But judging on how we watched the Canucks play last night, anecdotally, and also when we look at the metrics and also when we go through, say, 
Um, the types of chances the Canucks were given out, which we kind of were illuminated, were that Kevin Woodley's illuminated to us, that seam pass to give up, which was the worst in the league last year at 5-on-5 five five, and also on the power play. It showed that when Hughes and Pullman were together, yeah, they created a decent offense. Yeah, they, they had a good shot share, but they would get caught. They would get in positions where they give up too much space defensively, and that's why they would give up these high danger scoring chances. They would allow the seam pass every once in a while. So can that pair limit those scoring chances? That's my biggest question for OEL and for Pullman and Hughes as a pair. So what I found interesting about Hughes after the game last night and and this texter, uh, Dino, they are pulling the plug on Hughes OEL experiment after one game, one game. I want to see a little bit more of that. It would be disappointing to see the same basics of D pairings as last year. Uh, I'm kind of with Dino on this because after last night's game, my biggest takeaway from Quinn Hughes speaking was this man wants to play with Oliver Ekman Larson. Here it is. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I thought we pretty much dominated the first and second. Um, I thought we were really, really good. We're reading off each other. I thought he had lots of chances. I thought I had lots of chances. Uh, I didn't think we gave up anything. I don't think I think we had one or two D zone shifts in the second, and then the third. I don't think we played as well, um, mainly me. But uh, I think the overall package, we were really, really good together. And I think over a long period of time, we can um, really help each other. So there's definitely a positive um, thing there, and I think. Uh, like I said, first game in five months for both of us and then first game playing together, but I thought just reading off each other, his hockey sense, my hockey sense, we made a lot of plays together, so it was fun. I had fun out there. I know who Quinn Hughes wants to play with this season. I know, uh, and it is Albrecht <laughs> Larson. I mean, because it, it's the best, it's the most quality D partner he's had since playing with Chris Tanev. Yeah. And even Chris Tanev didn't have the same quality moving the puck and the puck skills that Albrecht Larson has. Listen, OEL is not worth the money anymore. And no. OEL uh, may never, you know, put up the fifty-point seasons and be the number one defenseman. Not going to be a twenty-goal scorer again, probably not. But he is a very talented and quality hockey player. Like yeah. he still is a very good and talented hockey player, and probably the most talented blue liner Quinn Hughes has ever played with. So obviously, um, he's going to like being on that pair. And it wasn't even so much about Hughes staying on the right side that whole night. Like he, they were fluid the whole night. The whole night, it kept switching back and forth, which shows good chemistry. It shows that like, good understanding. Uh, there were some awkward moments, which you would expect for you know them testing it out. In there was the first also game. some really good moments, they, though. Really like, was moving the puck in the zone, OEL jumping down, finding uh, finding some seams to get in and create an overload. Um, they found. Uh, I think OEL came down the half wall and eventually found Garland sneak up into the high slot for a great scoring chance. Uh, Just everything about it, I felt moved well and is the best opportunity at the Canucks finding a true number one pair. Mm -hmm. Like one that can really control play and really dominate. Well, you know what? And I think that's something, like I mentioned yesterday too, I don't think they're going to go away from it entirely. It's not like these D pairs are going to be static the entire season. I Break think glass in case of emergency. Yeah, and even, you know, depending on what goes on with injuries and stuff like that, I think this is something they're going to go back to and use, but it may not be what they start the season with necessarily. Right. So I don't think, you know, to Dino's point that they've, got, they've gone away with it after a game. I think it's more about figuring out what you can do and how things fit because as much as, yes, it makes sense, and yes, there are a lot of benefits to having that one pair th- that way, it's still hard to piece together the rest of the defense if you keep Oliel and Hughes together. I, uh, I wonder if Dermott being healthy would change that. Potentially, yeah. Though they haven't 
doesn't seem like they've had much of an appetite to put Dermott next to Myers at all this preseason. No, and I mean, in fairness, you know, it, it hasn't been a lot of time. It hasn't been a lot of time, right? Because, you know, Dermott hasn't even been available. Um, but I do think that Luke Shen, for as much as we keep, you know, penciling Luke Shen into the lineup, I think this year, as the season goes on, or maybe even to start the season, if Dermott gets healthy, don't be surprised if he is the seventh defenseman. Luke Shen. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't shock me if Luke Shen ends up being a healthy scratch at times this season. But that is obviously um, dependent on Tucker Pullman's health and, and play, and if he's able to do that. And that's why all you know they keep mentioning mm-hmm. Tucker Pullman. But I do think that's where Luke Shen kind of comes in to things. And we start looking at, you know, why as much as Rathbone and Shen make a lot of sense, we're like, yeah, that makes sense for a third pair. It looks like a nice, safe third pair with a lot of potential. It can also be looked at as, a, as the extra pair if Dermot's healthy. That's... Um... Yeah, that's kind of fascinating. Again, I think it, a lot of this depends on Tucker Pullman's health and, and how he continues to develop. Also, Travis Dermott, who wasn't yeah. practicing uh, once again today. But For yeah, sure. Yeah, it makes sense. 100%. Now, I did want to get back to a point. I think people are making it here on the text inbox. Uh, 650-650 Dunbar-Lumber. Hughes, unsigned, got hit more last night than he did all of last season. I, we I talked about that with Cheech, with Cheech. Uh, yesterday. In, and I think what he's referencing, or the texter is referencing, is that one specific play when OEL and, and Hughes collided. Yeah. And that was when Hughes was on the right side, and he had his back to the blue line, essentially. And that collision happened. Now, hey, that, sometimes collisions just happen, or whatever it is. But going back to what Cheech mentioned, and talking about, you know, you create different blind spots when you play your, your offside. Those are the hazards you have to kind of overcome and figure out. I'm not too worried about it. I think he figures that out as time goes on, and he'll be fine with it. But it's something notable, right? Yeah. It's something to keep an eye on. And in fairness, the best play Quinn Hughes made last night? Came when he was playing on the left side. Yeah, when he hit Kuzmenko as a trailer, and he scored. That was such an incredible play. Yeah. I mean, it was a nice fake. You thought he was going to make that bumper play initially, and then yeah. he just makes the play, play over to Kuzmenko. I mean, it's an incredible pass. I just love that the the three Kraken player were just, like, frozen in time. Yeah. They're like, I don't know what to do. You get him. I'll get him. Huh? Well, they are AHL players. Yes. And yet the Canucks still lost. Um, uh, it, it comes back to the biggest issue. And, look, I, I don't want to make too much of how the D looked last night beyond – Quinn Hughes and, and Oliver Ekman Larson because ultimately, like, yeah, they, they had their other top four defensemen not in the lineup. Luke Shen, who was a huge part of the team last year, not in the lineup. Um, they, they had significant pieces not playing last night. A guy that is still working his mm-hmm. way back from injury. They had the guy on the PTO, you know. And, and Kyle Burrows, who's comfortably a depth defenseman yeah. at the NHL level. So they, they kind of had like three and a half of their regular defensemen in the lineup. And so I'm not going to, to panic a little bit too much, but uh, it, it is still the biggest concern about this team. And it just feels to me as though Bruce Boudreaux doesn't trust what he's going to be able to get if he's if he's got Quinn Hughes and Oliver Ekman Larson on the same pair for an entire game. Yeah. And I mean, how many minutes can you throw out those other guys? Yeah. You know, and I mean, Hughes played like 20 minutes by the end of the second period. Yeah, I know a lot of that was power plays and whatever. But it's still the, yeah. But I mean, but that's what happens. If you have those guys together, you don't have a second pair. 
Yeah. You have two third pairs. And how do you use those two third pairs? Probably something like 17, 18 minutes. Yeah. That's probably how much they're playing, which means you're playing that top pair even more, which at times you can do. But as the season goes on over 82 games, it's probably asking too much. Mm-hmm. Do you want to have Hughes and OEL playing at 25, 26, 27 minutes every game? I mean, hey, you know, you, you might be able to get away with it. You make the playoffs. You know, and, and really, it's not about winning the cup this year as much as who knows what can happen if you get in and, you know, yada, yada, yada. You don't want to put a limit on teams and what they can do. But this is not a year about winning the cup. It's about trying to make the playoffs. So maybe all you're trying to do is get into the playoffs and then whatever. But it just seems like an unsustainable pairing if you're going to play them a lot the entire season. So I think it's something they're going to use, but they can't do every single night. Uh, so the Canucks' next preseason game to come tomorrow night which uh, was there any other fringe players or players on the roster bubble or just anybody in general that really stood out to you? If if there was one for me, it was probably Nils Amon. I didn't love obviously the end of game uh, bump in there with with uh, Jack Rathbone, but they figured it out. Uh, overall, I thought he was. Like, he looked like a guy that at some point could play NHL games yeah. this year for the Vancouver Canucks. Not a lot, but like I could see him being a call-up at some point. Yeah, I mean, he looks like a like a NHL player. Yeah. And I mean, like I don't mean as a good player necessarily, and maybe he turns out he to be that. He looks like a guy who could play fourth-line center. If he had to play tomorrow in a regular season game, yeah. you, you can probably throw him out seven to ten minutes, maybe. Yeah. That's what it feels like watching him, you know what I mean? Which is a positive, and I think that's why they have been impressed with what they've seen from him. I don't think he's going to make the team no. at a camp, but he's a guy that I think they look at now and say, hey, we're going to call him up at some point this season. And may- and maybe as time goes on, he's a center option for us. Yeah. And what have we been talking about internally? How many guys do you have coming up through your system that can play center? Forget about a top six center, which you'd love to get long-term and you know supplement your guys. They don't really have anybody coming up that can play a fourth-line role in like two or three years. You know what I mean? And that's where Niels Allman comes in. And it's not a big thing, but it can answer one organizational depth need down the middle. So I think it's been promising with Niels Allman, to your point. Uh, so he was one guy that really stuck out for me. Uh, Linus Carlson. I mean, I liked some things that he did, but it's it's hard to see him being able to make it in an NHL game right now with the way that he skates. Just, yeah, the pace is a bit of an issue. And if you're not going to be able to keep up, you got to score. Yeah. Now he's getting a chance to skate with Miller and, and Pearson. Yeah. Is that... Hey, you're a placeholder. He found ways to get shots off last night and, and, and get into some decent spots, but it's again that was mostly an AHL roster. He it was really playing was. against. Yeah, I, I mean, so some positives, right? Yeah, yeah you take them, and, and I think that's fine. But I think the the biggest thing just comes down to: Do you is there a player here that you have that you feel like is worth keeping over? Say Sheldon Dryzen, DJ Zep, probably not. Even Will Lockwood, yeah, right probably now, not. probably not. I think that that's the safe bet is that. Like, hey, I love to see one of those young guys jump over Dries. Dakota Joshua will make the team, but right now, I don't I haven't seen enough from those guys to think one of those guys takes that takes one takes a veteran, so to speak, job. I, I feel like I'm on an island after hearing the. Uh... The response from today on the station, but uh, I didn't love Dakota Joshua's game last night. It got better as the game it went better. on, but 
Uh, we'll talk about it more with Ian McIntyre coming up. His take on the the preseason thus far. IMAC, the triple threat, quadruple threat, whatever it is these days, is coming up next on Canuck Central. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, Canuck Central here on a Friday. The mailbag is coming up in hour number two. Make sure you're subscribed and also reviewing the podcast. So that way you never miss an edition of Canuck Central. We are brought to you by Grip Auto Entire. Quality service you can trust in 14 locations to serve you. We come to you from the Kintech studio. And if you want to find the link on Twitter with our stream, you can see uh, how the studio is coming together. Still more upgrades to come, but uh, you can now see the, the the major studio upgrades that everybody else has been talking about. Well, you can uh, get a first look up on Twitter right now. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.com. Net. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. What do you think of the uh, new goal song that the Canucks got going on? That eh, sounded good. Nickelback. It's now, the be- like these are the most positive reviews I've seen Nickelback get in a very long time. Hey, it, it's all about taking you know the best of what they do for a specific time, and and it works. You know, I, th- I thought it was fine. Now, one thing to be careful with, what you see in the preseason may not be what you see in the regular season. Yeah. Let me just say that when it comes to game ops. We'll see what happens. Uh, let's bring in the triple threat. You read them on sportsnet.ca. You hear it here on Sportsnet 650 with us and others across the station. And also watch him on television. It is Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet's triple threat. Uh, what do you think of the uh, Nickelback goal song? Or have you not spared an extra thought about it? I have not spared an extra <laughs> the goal song. You know, normally when the song comes on, I'm so busy trying to write down uh, what Happened. just transpired and yeah. also check the monitor to see what uh, really transpired that I didn't see. So, no, it doesn't. I don't care. I thought Nickelback, I thought people didn't like Nickelback. That's what I thought as well. It's uh, it was, Yeah, uh, people like this song, right? Uh, they like the chorus, I guess. Gets them yeah. fired up okay. after... Uh, I think anything would have gotten positive reviews after the last goal song. So, mm. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I guess maybe I know more about this goal song debate than than I thought. <laughs> the fact that I even know that Nickelback is not popular, but this song is with fans. I guess. Uh, so I, I kind of liked it the year the players chose their own. Maybe they did that more than one season. What would you I choose? Player, I think a player should have the right. Yeah. If 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 you if you. Uh, honor your team mm-hmm. with a goal and are an exemplary player for achieving that. I think you have the right to 90 seconds of whatever tune you like. Uh, would you have all along the watchtower for every uh, Ian McIntyre <laughs> goal score? Uh, every block you might, shot? You, you might need something that gets a little more uh, to the point. Right. But I, I, love, <laughs> I love the guitar riff coming in. I probably would until I think of something better. I probably would. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's Ian McIntyre joining us uh joining us here on Canuck Central. Now we do want to get to a lot of things that have happened on the ice, but the big story uh, it's gone around uh, across hockey Twitter today is uh Rachel Dory 
uh, confirmed today, no longer with the Canucks organization just eight months after she was hired. Do you have a thought on uh, what transpired here? Well, what a, what a week it's been for the hockey club, huh? The, yeah. the awful allegations uh, in court against the owner and how he treated his children and, and now this. And against that backdrop, three, three preseason losses. So <laughs> I think they're hoping as an organization next week's a little better. I don't, I don't have any uh, inside uh, information on, on this particular um, personnel decision. You know, Rachel Dory, we think, uh, having been dismissed, but the Canucks, of course, won't confirm that, just that she's no longer with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have two thoughts, <clears throat> and none are going to uh, probably satisfy many listeners who want to know exactly what happened. But my first thought is, uh, this is an organization that has tried to be progressive since the regime change. They have two women in groundbreaking roles as assistant general managers. They have the first Swedish GM in NHL history. They have a Hall of Fame president in Jim Rutherford, uh, who ha- is finally getting his chance to build uh, what he sees as as a hockey operations Camelot, this this bringing together of people from diverse backgrounds in hockey, where you have a collaborative, inclusive discussion uh, on all big decisions, and I can say that from people I've talked to, both the new senior employees and the senior employees who remained from the last regime, that is what happens. There's a lot of discussion, a lot of collaboration. Uh, that goes goes into big decisions. So the idea that somehow this team wasn't progressive enough to have uh, a 26 year old woman working for them in their analytics department, I think, you know, sounds sounds a bit nonsensical to me, uh, given all the other things that they have done. That's one thought. My second thought here is that this is a 26-year-old person who, by all accounts, is very smart and has a career ahead of her in something, and I hope a great career mm-hmm. in, in analytics, in hockey, whatever it is uh, she's, going to, she's going to pursue. I think she has the right to pursue that with a modicum of respect and privacy for the details of her exit and not have it be discussed like it's sport. Mm-hmm. for us and I'd also say that because she's 26 years old and was at a lower level uh, position the right to know for for the public it's not the same as an owner firing a GM mm-hmm. it's not the same as a GM firing a coach or a coach firing his uh, assistant or even the team changing captains or anything like that I think at this level if if she doesn't wish to speak about it, and maybe she will. Maybe we'll we'll hear from her. Uh, I I think that people should respect that right to privacy on on the end of end of her employment. And as far as the Canucks, not talking about, it, I know I didn't go to practice today, uh, mm-hmm. but you know Bruce Boudreau was asked about it uh, and said he wouldn't comment on it. Uh, I I don't know what his obligation to comment is on it, but it's quite possible that there's no comment on it for out of respect for the privacy uh, and consideration of, of the employee. 
So those are my two thoughts. Yeah, you, you know, I mean, it's hard to know because none of us really know what was going on. And I know people have a lot of questions. And we'll, we'll do our best to answer some of these in the mailbag because they are coming in and everything. And all I can say is it does seem like whatever it was was something related to the job. You know, people were wondering, is it ownership? Is it that? Like, that's all we know. And to your point, the privacy aspect is probably for the best and that's probably why they're approaching it that way but we'll see ultimately what happens and you mentioned the stuff with with ownership and this is the last thing before we move on and a lot of people are kind of asking about what can happen the league has said they're keeping an eye on it but i don't get the sense ian that this is something unless more things come out that are you know a lot more damning than just the accusations and i'm not trying to minimize the accusations i'm just not expecting the league to really take any action unless this really evolves yeah, I, I said the other day when when these uh, arose uh, that that there would probably has to be a next step if if it mm-hmm. if it um, accelerates from here or uh, you know becomes something more, especially if there there ends up being something in either the the criminal or the civil uh, court system, then I think it's it's much more likely that the NHL might step in. And have a say on on how the Canucks have conducted themselves, uh, but uh, they are paying attention to this for sure. Uh, but I'm I'm I guess I'm agreeing with you, Sat, that unless there's there's something more coming, um, you know, for now these were these are allegations that were made uh, in court, very troubling and, mm-hmm. and horrifying ones, of course, but yeah. made in court in the context of a dispute over child support. So if it becomes something more, uh, I think there is a chance the Mm -hmm. NHL could step in. But I don't see that happening unless there's something more. Ian McIntyre, our guest here on uh, on Canuck Central. So a uh, third straight preseason loss last night. And, you know, they they played so well for for much of that game and and still somehow gave it up in the end. And I know that's what your piece focused on over at Sportsnet.ca coming out of that game. I was somewhat surprised at how disappointed Bruce Boudreaux was post-game because, in my mind, it's just preseason. But thinking about the bigger picture, they've talked so much about culture in the last number of months with the whole new regime coming through. And it's, to, I guess, that's not really a switch you can turn on and off, Ian. It's, it's either you kind of have it or you don't. Yeah, and I think they want to establish... You know, so much of the success was because of this feeling of positivity. And and I know that sounds awfully trite and superficial, but when you talk to the players last year, if you recall some of the things that they said after the change about Bruce, just how positive everything was. And we know that that the immediate effect of the regime change is that there was a cleansing of the air uh, in the dressing room. There, You know, people could br- take a deep breath and breathe again and, and just – get back to to focusing on playing playing hockey instead of you know all all the all the noise uh, that was swirling um and and so that positivity they they obviously they want to carry that through and and the best way to do that is to win games that's that's always always the best way it trumps everything it trumps all the stuff we talk about with individuals and and, you know, organizationally what they're doing and what they're trying to do for the future. If you just win, that makes everything better quicker than anything else. 
And so they 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 want to win, uh, and they want to, especially Bruce. I don't, I don't know about the players and, and veteran players who have been through, you know, ten training camps and and preseason games. I, I don't know that they necessarily feel like there's an urgency to win. They'd like mm-hmm. to win, I'm sure. I don't think there'd be too many guys, uh, especially again among the older players who have been through this a bunch of times. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone was crestfallen last night because they blew a three one third period lead in the preseason game. But as an organization, they want to win and they need to win coming right out of the gate. So I think there's a little more focus uh, for them probably on this preseason. I mean, think about, you know, from day one of training, even before training camp, what Bruce Boudreaux said on his, on his media day about getting groups together and about his hope that this might be the lineup that starts the season there. And, and then they played the first night of split squad games and then got right down to an NHL-type uh, roster for the first actual day of practice after training camp in Whistler. They're clearly they're trying to get ready for day one because they know that it was you know the first 30 to 45 days that sunk them the last two seasons, not just last year but the season before. It's just last year they had a great turnaround. They mm-hmm. made it interesting at the end. The season before they just they all got sick and it all dissipated and fell apart. You you can't you can't play from behind in, in this league. And I think that's why probably Bruce is a little concerned right now about what has happened in, in these three preseason games. Well, and you know, as far as individuals go, and you know, you and I were sitting and watching the game from the press box last night, and we were both kind of, you know, smiling and shaking our head at Andre Kuzmenko and what he was doing, and, and still kind of being mindful of it is only the preseason. But I don't blame fans for getting excited based on what they saw last night from Kuzmenko. Yeah, people, you know, probably should be excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you don't really need to tell Vancouver fans to get excited because they're going to be excited about something <laughs> one way or another. Right. There, there's going to be a significant emotional investment in whatever is happening, good or bad. But with Kuzmenko, and I, I said this to you last night, Sad, I didn't say it on TV, but, you know, I've covered the team for, for three decades, and you, you get to a point where that's embarrassing to even admit. But I, I've covered the team a long time. And I, I'm always wary of hyperbole. Uh, believe it or not, even in my profession, I do worry about that. And in this market, in saying too much. When, you know, it's kind of like the players there try and keep an even keel. I think it's important that we always try to keep perspective and, and measure you know, what we say, uh, good or bad, again, about the team. But I think I could count on one hand with maybe even a couple of fingers left over the number of players I've seen play for the Canucks who can release the puck, just the release, the shot release that Andre Kuzmenko has on his wrist shot, wrist, you know, dash, snap shot, because he does kind of snap it. Uh it is world-class. I, I asked Quinn Hughes about it after the game. He said upper echelon, uh, really, really skillful. And so that release, we could all see on day one of training camp in Whistler. It's like, oh, okay, this, this guy does look like he could be a legit NHL player because you never know when, when they come over. And, and this organization's had some disappointments with European players 
um, primarily Swedish ones who have come over with a great scoring pedigree and then and then just it didn't translate uh, to the NHL game. From day one, you could see, okay, that shot, that's going to translate. If, if he can play, if he can do enough of the other stuff, that shot alone can make him an NHL player. Well, now that we've had a chance to see him for a couple of preseason games and we see him practice and we saw him do, you know, the endurance skate and, and it didn't crush him like maybe we thought it would when we saw how tired he was after some of the drills in Whistler. And now we see him in a couple of games and we see the hockey sense and we see the, I think, still surprising quickness that he has in tight spaces. You know, the quick hands to move the puck the, the, and, and also quick feet. Like he's not, he's not a burner. I don't think ever is going to be one. But in tight spaces, he's very agile and quick and elusive. And especially the hockey sense, we're seeing now how good he is at making plays as well and not just shooting the puck. And then you put him in combination with Elias Pettersson, who probably quietly has been the best player start to finish mm-hmm. since camp opened. Like he is really plugged in this year. Uh, I wonder if he's going to do this year what JT Miller did last year mm-hmm. and get 99 points. But yeah. you, you put Kizmenko with Pedersen, you put him on the power play with world-class players like Quinn Hughes, this guy could get a lot of points in the NHL. He's got a long way to go to show that he can, he can play the game. But if he can, he's going to put up points in the NHL. It's clear, like, the, the shots there. And, and playing with Pedersen feels like a, a natural fit to give, you know, to give him the best opportunity to do that. And you mentioned the power play. Last night, it looked uh, elite. You know, they were flashing some some new sort of movements. It was a lot less static than we saw last year. They looked more comfortable with each other. Kuzmenko felt like he's like, you know, just slid in there as if he's been Brock Besser working with these guys for the last couple of years. It, it felt really natural and just looked like they carried over a lot from last year and are adding some wrinkles to it as well. IMAC. Yeah. Well, Kuzmenko looks so good in that low spot that, um, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it's going to be hard for Brock Besser uh, when he comes back to get that spot back. Um, but he's certainly going to have an opportunity, and, and maybe they end up with two power play units, which is which is every team's hope. But that first unit, I mean, when does it look good? And, of course, it looked good last night, but why does it look good? It looks good because the puck moves quickly and gets mm-hmm. to dangerous areas. When, when at times, has it looked bad in, in the last couple of seasons? when the puck's not moving and when guys aren't moving. You know, when, when JT, as good as JT is, when he has it on his stick and he's not moving and he's trying to look for some place to put it, yeah, that's when the odds are highest. It's going to go to the opposition and back down the ice. But look at how they scored last night with, with that incredibly rapid uh, puck movement. You can't, when you're moving it that well, you, it's really hard to defend but a huge factor as well is familiarity. And yeah, Kuzmenko is new, but none of those other guys are. And, and Hughes made the point after the game that, you know, he's been, this is his fourth year. Like people have, people have seen him for four years now. 
and uh, he has seen them. And there's now becoming an instinctive quality to how they play together. You know, because really, since since Miller arrived uh, three seasons ago, Miller, Pedersen, Hughes, Horvat have been a fixture, and, and Besser most of the time as well have been a fixture. And I remember the Sedin saying years ago, like how long it took just, just, and they're identical twins, but how long it took for the five guys to figure each other out and, and be able to play as a unit. I think that's what the Canucks are getting to now. It's, they've got these incredible individual pieces, but it's the unit now that has, that has evolved to the point where it looks like it could be one of the best in the NHL. I'm Mac. You're the best. Have a great weekend. Well, you're the second best, Dan. So you <laughs> have, have a great weekend too. Then Sat, your honorable mention. Yeah, I'll, kind yeah. of you to say. Well, I'll, I'll I'll be honorable and mention Josh's third. I'll take four. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, that's that's very that's very kind of you. And, and Dan, uh, I expect you to uh, respond to all my critics okay. with that. I, I always do, iMac. You you are the best. Thanks for this. All right. All right. See you guys. Have a good weekend. Uh, he is uh, the triple threat, Ian McIntyre. Yeah. Yeah. Power play hype. Uh, but uh, honestly, the power play stuff, it's, it's exciting. It's all cool, and I'm excited for it. Elias Pettersson being plugged in, like Ian mentioned. Yeah. That's probably the most meaningful thing. He's this plugged into the matrix, as you he's, like to he's say. He's plugged into the matrix. I mean, he's, he's just very, very motivated. I, I turned to you guys at one point last night, uh, and I said, I'm like, does Pedersen think like these points count? Like, does he think like he's going to win the Art Ross Trophy by collecting points in the preseason? Because that's the way he's playing this game. Which, I mean, you don't really see a guy be that invested in a preseason from the first shift all the way into overtime. He wanted to make his mark on that game, and that's something you don't always see in the preseason. I'm not going to lie, but I I, I need to see it more from Pedersen than I needed to from anybody else. <laughs> like he didn't play in preseason last year. No, he Sad. didn't. Like the, the he had the one I am game haunted by Pedersen having another slow start. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not worried about this year anymore because last year he didn't look right until like what was game 40. Yeah, you know, until January. Yeah, he had the two goals in Washington and then he finally broke out of it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to take that long this time. Doesn't look like it. No, no. I uh, I feel like that line might get the night off tomorrow because you know they gave Miller's line. The night off, first or, day of the yeah, season. Yeah, they played two games. Then Horvat got the night off last night, so I think Pedersen's line, if uh, I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, uh, may get tomorrow night off. Yeah, I could see Bo, Dickinson, and Lazar yeah. all going to Seattle. And I could see, I, and maybe even the Miller line gets the day off tomorrow. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you're back to um, Edmonton yeah. on Monday, then Abbotsford on Wednesday. Which we will be in Abbotsford. We will be in Abbotsford. So if you are going to the preseason game in Abbey, Make sure you come by and find us. Yeah, we'll be there in, during, in the concourse, so we'll, yeah. we'll be hanging out. We'll do the post-game show from there, too, so we'll be there all night. So look forward to that on Wednesday. But that's why I I think what they'll do is send maybe Bo in those lines to Seattle, mm-hmm. and then probably Pedersen and Miller go to um, Edmonton. Edmonton. And then you probably try to have dress rehearsal in Abbotsford and Arizona. Uh, those would be the final two preseason games of the season next Wednesday in Abbotsford and then uh, Friday at home at Rogers Arena to the Arizona Coyotes. One thing I really liked that Kuzmenko was doing and was a lot more comfortable in doing, it felt like, compared to Brock Besser, was getting below the goal line 
and looking to receive the puck. Like, it felt the Canucks' power play. That was the wrinkle I was talking about. They were more comfortable playing the puck Mm -hmm. below the goal line last night than I'm used to seeing. And it created some rotations that they ended up going through. It just it opened up a whole different world of opportunities for them. Um, we'll see as it, as it progresses. Cause yes, again, that wasn't a, a high end uh, penalty kill unit for the Seattle Kraken last night, but uh, some interesting wrinkles being added on the power play. And look, if the power play is going at the start of the year, that sort of helps you, even if you're not going in other areas of your game, it can kind of keep you 500 or a little bit above as you try to round out the rest of your game. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We are Canuck Central here on Sportsnet 650. The mailbag is coming up. First question. Well, there's a lot of questions about what's gone on with the organization from mm. this week. So we'll get into all of that from the listeners, Sat. <laughs> yeah, that is all coming up. We, you know what? Uh, we, we talked to Ian about it a little yeah. bit. Uh, we were wanted to, wanted to recap the game and where things stand after practice and training camp or the preseason. And we'll, we'll try to answer as many questions as we can in the mailbag. In the best way that we can. Uh, that's coming up next on Canuck Central.